Welcome, everyone. The Bastards are back for this Monday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the Baltimore Orioles, losing the series two games to one. They are still in last place in the American League East, six games out from the final wild card spot. Quick disclaimer, as always, for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining us tonight from the city of Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith. Charlie? Yeah, man, it's been a... uh kind of sad last couple of days um you know last week was different and this one's starting to kind of go back to the way it was pre-deadline where we just look very lethargic um we we're probably going to score a lot of runs in some games but we still can't hit homers it's real sad it's tragic quite yeah frankly. and for for those that are, are wondering it's been rather quiet the past I don't know how many weeks in my inbox, but Smith underscore MLB is where you can find me on Twitter. I've been pretty bad about remembering to mention that in the past. That's so on me. Smith underscore MLB is where you can find me on Twitter. Also joining us coming off the bench tonight, I think from Syracuse, New York, he will correct me if I'm wrong. Looks like I'm correct, is Mark Rollins. Nice to see you again, Mark. I'm back. I missed my, uh, I was supposed to pinch hit on Saturday night. Uh, my flight got delayed when I was being called up from the minors. Uh, didn't make the game in time, but uh, I'm back. Just took me a couple extra days. There we go. And uh, marker, marker underscore box on Twitter. Yeah. And Mark, just real quick, just go go ahead through your, your background because you, you're in radio and, you know, you do some cool yeah. stuff. I uh, got a broadcasting degree from SUNY Oswego, did a radio show there, did four years of play-by-play for various sports, including baseball. Um, out of college, got a job doing local sports talk radio in Syracuse, New York. So you can listen to me on the Manchild Show with Boy Green on the Score 1260 every day, 10 to 12. And then you can hear me producing games for the Syracuse Mets. I do work in minor league baseball as well. Like I said, really cool. You get to see some some people come up through the ranks. Now, is the is that a Mets affiliated team? Where yes, they're called we are, the Mets. Okay. Yeah, we're the AAA team for the Syracuse Mets. We've currently got uh, the top prospect in baseball, Francisco Alvarez, behind the plate for us. So that's been pretty cool. Nice. Uh, Jacob Degrom made a couple of rehab starts for us. I got to work one of them from the station and attend one of them as a fan. It was a great experience to see him pitch in person. A lot of fun stuff going on with uh, Syracuse baseball. So if there's anyone out there uh, from the upstate New York area, I recommend getting into the Syracuse Mets a little bit because it's been a really fun season. They're not very good, but they're fun, and that's what matters. 
And you must occasionally see Worcester come through. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I've seen, uh, I, I've gone to a couple of games when we played Worcester because I wanted to see some of the kids. Um, I missed Cassis. Uh, they came through when he was hurt, so I didn't get to see him. Uh, but yeah, I've seen some of the guys, Ryan Fitzgerald and some, Fitzy looked great in the series he played against us. I want to say he hit like 550 in that series with like three home runs. He just couldn't stop hitting against the Mets. I was like, get this guy up to the big leagues yesterday. Um, Seems like it's never going to happen, but we'll see. No, definitely not. And it's a shame because I think the guy is good. Yeah, it sounds like it. And he hits for power, which we're seriously mm-hmm. lacking right now. But yeah, so all right. Red Sox lose the series. I don't know if this is where you want to call it or not. Eventually, we got to pronounce the team dead, but I think we're going to hold off for a little bit. Six games back, though, with maybe what, six weeks left. You got to go on a disgusting run, and you got so many divisional opponents left arguably we just lost to the quote-unquote easier ones uh of the division so although the yankees are pretty easy as of late but um yeah and i think we might have gotten that started that little downturn we were close to the start of it if we didn't but all right so weekend shit list since we lost the series charlie i'm gonna lead you off We'll start at number three, work our way up to number one. What do you got? Who's number three on the shit list? Yeah, so this was, you know, some people are probably going to go, really? That's who you went with? But in a time where it just doesn't seem to matter who's pitching out of the bullpen, there's really only one person that we trust coming out, and there used to be two, and now that number has shrunk to one. So John Schreiber is going to be my guy. Uh, this is back-to-back performances, and I know that we talked about this briefly right before we got, uh, you know, came on live. I no longer feel that John Schreiber is shut the door, John Schreiber. And I know that Job may disagree with me. I know Job is a huge supporter of him, but this is his worst month, and it's not even close. It's just not even close. And his numbers from today haven't even been input on. Uh, the numbers for for his month, but his ERA prior to today was 3.6. He had allowed 4 earned in 10 innings, and now that number is 6 earned in 10 innings. So he's just not pitching well. Three of his last four performances have been not pretty. He's allowed a minimum of one earned run. He can't seem to stay as consistent as he was a couple months ago. You know, in the month of June, was fantastic. 12 innings, 6 hits, no runs allowed. Following uh, month of July, had two real bad clunkers, uh, lost one of those games, a no decision, another, a blown save in another. And so far this month, he's had a loss, should have been probably a potential blown save. I just, I don't have faith in him anymore. It's it's really sad. His ERA is now over, it's almost at 2.4, at 2.39. This is someone who is hovering at the end of June at 0.73. It got down to 0.6 in almost mid-July. So we've just seen since mid-July, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven bad appearances, like almost half. It's just, it's not, it's not good enough. 
and it's it's kind of it's scary but it's kind of also going in tune with how the Red Sox have played this year in 2022 where in a season where it feels like nothing else can go wrong another thing just falls apart and sad but true John Triber is uh my dud for this weekend Mark thoughts on Schreiber. Yeah, I mean, Schreiber hasn't been great. I'm not going to sit here and try to sugarcoat it. But my thing with guys like Schreiber is relief pitching is the most volatile position maybe in sports. Like, just there isn't a single position in any other sport that I can think of that changes so drastically on a day-to-day basis. And, yeah, Schreiber's been bad and honestly deserving of being on this shit list right now. But at the same time, you never know when he's going to run out another string of six scoreless outings in a row, averaging two strikeouts an inning. That's just the way relief pitching is. That's why guys like Mariano Rivera, Trevor Hoffman, Jonathan Papelbaum when he was in his prime, that's why those guys are so rare that they can just go in day in and day out. The best closer in baseball this year has been Edwin Diaz. Remember him two years ago when the Mets first got him? He was getting booed off the field because he couldn't throw a strike. And this year, the trumpets start playing at City Field, and everyone goes nuts because it's like they know the game is over. Even Eric Gagne, who had the bet, one of the best seasons as a closer ever, had like three more good years in him. And then it was just like, eh, Eric Gagne's kind of done. It's just the way relief pitching goes. And like I said, Schreiber's deserving of being on this list, but I don't read too much into relievers going into a little bit of a struggle for a time, especially a guy as unproven as Schreiber. This was Mariano Rivera that got into this funk, and it's like, what is wrong with Mariano Rivera? That'd be one thing. But John Schreiber, he was a nobody. No one knew who he was. He came out of the Red Sox bullpen and started throwing 96, and it was like, hey, wait a minute, this guy could be something. Turned out he is something. So we'll see if he stays this bad, but relief pitching is so all over the place that I'm, I I don't think he'll stay this bad. And I don't, I don't read too much into it. Well, he definitely gave up the, the three runs that ultimately sank us. If we get out of the inning, Xander, you know, conceivably still hits that home run and, and then we win the series. So it's unfortunate that he had a bad performance in a, in a critical moment where we really needed to squeeze this one out. Having said that, I've always been a skeptic on Schreiber. Is he really as good as he is? Is he a future eighth or ninth inning guy on a team? Like you said, Mark, he came out of nowhere. He was never great to begin with, and then... It seemed like the Red Sox unlocked something with him. He's heavily taxed, and I think he's probably a quality reliever, but I think what we're seeing right now is a little bit of fatigue and a little bit of coming down to earth. There's enough tape on him out there now that teams can be prepared. Yeah, he has he has a really unorthodox arm slot, so it's going to take you know, hitters a, a little bit longer to, to figure out where the ball is coming from and, and how to attack him. So I, I, it's just unfortunate that we don't have Tanner Houck right now. You know, he's our, basically our, 
everyday closer for a couple of months and I forgot to follow up on him, but it wasn't looking good. He's got a, a disc problem in his back and I think he had some appointments last week, which would determine the um, fate, I guess, for him for the rest of the season. But you're just you're seeing a tired bullpen right now and a bullpen that's quite frankly not very good. And this is this is the product of that. So if a couple of other guys can step up, then, you know, maybe you don't have to use Schreiber quite as much. I mean, he pitched, let's see, one and one third uh, inning uh, just last night and then came in today and just didn't have it. So they got some looks at him yesterday. And uh, and actually, he did allow a, an earned run in game two, so it's not like he was super sharp, but uh, two hits uh, on one earned run. So I don't know. But any other thoughts on, on Schreiber? Got nothing. All right. I'll go uh, second here uh, since nobody else was comfortable uh, bashing the guy I'm about to bash. But Rafi Devers, I don't want to say he's been hot garbage for the, the last month because that would be an exaggeration. In the last... 30 games he has hit eight home runs for 18 RBIs and perhaps that's not quite as robust as what you might expect from him but he's basically been an all-or-nothing guy they're either going over the fence or he's heading back into the dugout he in the last 30 games he's only hitting 216 with a 264 on base the plate discipline isn't nearly as good as it was the first few months of the season. And perhaps like Schreiber, maybe Devers is a little tired from, from carrying the team. I, I think the team's getting a little bit heavy. Not getting a lot of help from Bogarts either. Um he hasn't really had a great leadoff hitter in front of him uh, until Tommy Pham was acquired. So if Devers isn't one of your top performers, it's, it's really hard to, to get that production from other people. So I just, he's had a, he's had a tough year through the media. I mean, Wanted an extension, didn't get one. Wasn't low-walled necessarily, but he wasn't offered a deal that really reflected what his value was. So there's been a lot of off-the-field stuff. The trade deadline was probably really emotionally taxing on a lot of these guys. Devers and Bogarts apparently knew uh, as early as a week out that they weren't getting traded, but... Vasquez got traded, which wasn't popular at all in the clubhouse. And, um, you know, JD and Evaldi were connected to, to rumors. So I just think this season has been kind of an emotional roller coaster for the team. And I, I think 
part of Dever's decline is what kind of reflects on that. It kind of speaks to the fact that it, it has been a bit of a roller coaster. So, Charlie, any thoughts on Devers? Well, I uh, had told you beforehand when you mentioned it, I said this is going to be a really sore subject for me because I'm going to struggle to say something negative about my favorite hitter uh, in Boston. And um, he's struggled in the month of August. I'm not going to I'm not going to say anything uh, to, to counter that. You, you can't really make a, a case saying that he's been tearing the cover off the ball because, like you mentioned, it's been beast or, or nothing. And uh was hitting 149 before tonight, and now he's hitting, I think I said 155 with uh, three homers and eight RBIs. It's just – it's – it, it doesn't feel like if I were to tell you three home runs, eight RBIs, 155, you could make a case that's Joey Gallo, who's not hitting at all. And if he's hitting, it's probably just a boomer bust hit. Ten hits this this month, three of them are home runs, three are doubles. That sounds very Joey Gallo-esque. And that's offensive to say. Because the month before, he hit 300 with five homers, 10 RBIs, had three straight home runs um, as far as games played, had two against the Yankees back-to-back games, one against Tampa Bay, had a two-homer game, was doing his job, was driving in runs, even though we weren't winning games against our divisions, uh, a divisional opponents, he was still doing everything he possibly could. At least that's what it felt like. And I just feel like the rest of the bats, it's just another thing that has gone wrong in a perfect world where all the stars align. What are the odds that 12 things go wrong? What is that number? One divided by two, divided by two, divided by whatever number that is, that fraction, the Red Sox have done it. They're that one out of 12 straight odds of that not working out in a row. It just feels like that's all it is. I can't knock him because Devers has been one of the most important players on this team every month always hitting on fire. I mean, he had a ridiculous month of May, so I can't take it away. It's almost as if you want to say, okay, well, maybe you, you canceled this clunker of a month out with May or even, you know, April, any of the months that he did really, really well. So I'm not going to sit here and knock him. I can't. I just cannot do it. I don't feel that, that would be respectful. While we're not going to just sugarcoat it, I do think that he has plenty left this season. He will still be one of the most important hitters in this lineup, but no one's going to fear someone who goes over three, over four, one for four with a, just a, a little single. You know, we need to see a little bit more consistency from him, but still, I'm not going to raise the flag on him. Real quick, I forgot to mention he was over five in the first game, and he went one for four in game two and three. Um, but in that first game, when he was over five, stranded seven guys on base so kind of kind of brutal that first game was a shit show anyway between the starting pitcher and you know it ended up being a football score but anyway mark go ahead thoughts on devers uh first of all charlie i will have you know that joey gallo has a 146 ops plus since going to the dodgers all right the guy (laughs) he's come alive i i said on radio after he was traded to the Dodgers, I was like, no one should be surprised if he's good again. And then he's been pretty good. And people are like, wow, what happened to Joey Gallo? And I'm like, no one listened to me. This is just clearly no one is listening to me about this. But anyway, 
yeah, I'm not going to say anything bad about Rafael Devers. I can't do it. it one of the most important things, <clears throat> excuse me, for a hitter to have is protection. Especially if you're a middle-of-the-order guy like Devers. You want guys in front of you. You want guys behind you that say, okay, even if I get out right now, someone's going to drive that guy in on second base. J.D. Martinez has been abysmal the past couple of months. Zero power. Xander Bogarts has zero power right now. They haven't had a leadoff hitter. Jaron Duran hit leadoff for this team far too many games. So the fact that no one around him is performing it's Rafi gets up to the plate and he says, ah, shit, I guess I got to do it myself again. That's a really, really big burden for a hitter to have on himself. And sure, you want to do it every time, but you can't go up there thinking I have to do this. And that's what Rafi is feeling. And I just, I can't put that entirely on him. Charlie, go ahead. So it's it's funny because you're you're talking about protection, and I was going to mention that, but realize I'm going to totally take over this take. In the last two months, JD Martinez has one home run. Mm-hmm. He has 13 RBIs from someone who's making 25 million a year. Mm-hmm. JD has completely disappeared. Can you imagine if he had opted out and the Red Sox are like, "We got to resign him for four years and 120 million. We got to do it." No home runs, six RBIs. He's hitting under 200 for the month. Uh, Just everything that could potentially, again, go wrong. Oh, excuse me, 203 after today. Everything that could potentially go wrong for the Red Sox is happening all at once. It's it's just, it's it's amazing. I don't think I've ever seen this before. It's the ultimate Murphy's Law team. Everything that can go wrong will go wrong. Yeah. And even J.D. was a model of consistency. Xander was a model of consistency. Raphael was a model of consistency. And this season, it's just like everything is falling apart. And by the way, you mentioned earlier that you guys haven't claimed this team is dead yet. Allow me to be the first. This team is not only dead, they are buried. That body is decomposed. They've been dead for a long time. So allow me to be the guest that says this team doesn't have an ice cubes chance in hell of doing anything. They're bad. Baltimore is a significantly better team than Boston is right now. And I will lay my reputation on that. This team is not good. It's hard to disagree with that. I will give a counterpoint on the next show uh, when we talk about a certain scenario, but admittedly that's more of a longer shot scenario anyway but but you guys make some excellent points i mean unless you're gonna put verdugo and i guess if you want to ride the hot hand arroyo behind devers i mean who do they have to be afraid of on this team it's just it's not a scary team at all and eric hosmer just I mean, he's hitting just under 250, I guess, since he got here with not a ton of power. None. He doesn't have power. Eric Hosmer is sans power. He is a ground ball line drive hitter, which is fine. Not if you're going to play first base in the American League East. But the one upside 
I'm, I'm not used to playing devil's advocate this much. Um, he can play defense, which we weren't getting. At yes, first. he is a good defender. I'll give him that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you're kind of thinking World Series 2015, Eric Cosmer, like some people are when, when the trade happens. And just there's just not a lot to be afraid of here. And when you see this Baltimore team beat us, and they straight up beat us. I mean, we can say we beat ourselves, but, I mean, that that Baltimore Orioles team is a team that's fearless. They're having fun. And they're on a very rapid upward trajectory. Like this division is going to be a beast for a while. I mean, can you even project a team to win 65 games going forward? I mean, I'm making the bold assumption that Bloom's going to field a good team next year, but but there's no reason to suggest the Blue Jays are going to be bad next year. No reason to suggest the Yankees are going to be. No reason to suggest Tampa will be a below 500 team. And I think Baltimore is going to continually get better. And I think they're on record as saying, I think Andrew has pointed this out in the last uh, few shows, is that they will spend money this offseason. The Baltimore Orioles will. So how do you how do you even project a team to be bad in this division? I mean, one of them will, but it's, it's going to be because they're going to have that Murphy's law type of season. And I, so Bloom's got to get it together. I was hoping, I was hoping to see some really creative stuff, some smart stuff. And he's just not, he's just not, out maneuvering these other teams from the front office were extremely flawed. So anyway, Mark, I, uh, I put you in the one spot. So who's number one on the shit list? It's actually two people. They're, uh, they're shaking hands at the number one spot. It's, um, it is mainly Dave Bush but Peter Fatsy's there with them too. Um, and they're just because this team can neither pitch nor hit. And the last I checked, there are three main components to winning a baseball game. There's pitching, which they can't do. There's hitting, which they can't do. And Lord knows this team can't play defense. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to put it. Who's the, like the infield coach or whatever. Like, I'm not going to put it on, like, yeah, third base coach Carlos Feebles. I'm not going to put it on him. I'm going to put it on the other two more important aspects of the game because Lord knows the Phillies can't play defense either. They're still winning games. This team, it's just, they go out and they score 10 runs against Baltimore, and it's like, great, perfect. We put up a 10 spot. They lose by five. They lost by five in a game which they scored 10 runs. That's on the pitching coach. And Cutter Crawford, who is quite frankly not good, and it really disappoints me because Cutter Crawford might be the best name for a pitcher of all time. What a great name for a pitcher. And the guy can't pitch. It's a real one of the real disappointments of my life. He goes out, he gives up a nine spot, 
bullpen comes in, they stink. Dave Bush, he has no idea what he's doing with these pitchers. Even guys like Eovaldi, Pavetta, who have proven that they can be good starters. Pavetta wasn't that bad tonight. You know, still wasn't great. But Eovaldi's been eh. You know, it, everyone has just been a lot of blech on the pitching staff, including John Schreiber, like we said, the past month. You know, Tanner Houck was good. Garrett Whitlock, that guy, remember when Garrett Whitlock was like the best starter in the American League? That was great. And now he's returned to sort of the norm. Uh, obviously, he's had the arm issues, and that's made it a little difficult. But then the hitting, everyone's got the same approach. They have the same problem. I've been saying about the Yankees for like five years, and it's all encapsulated in what Rafael Devers is doing right now. They're so boomer bust right now. And it's hard to say with a team that has a bunch of guys that don't hit for power, but it's not for lack of trying. It's not like they're not going up there and being like, I'm going to hit an opposite field single over the second baseman's head. They'll never see that coming. No, they're still going all out. Verdugo, he's been fine, but I still don't love his approach at the plate. It seems very boomer bust, and it's worked out for him more than it hasn't this year, which is nice. But all of their approaches are the same. Remember when the the 2013 team, all they had was guys that were just going to take pitches and grind out and at bat. That was their whole thing. No one on this team is seeing less than five pitches per plate appearance. They're grinding. These guys are going up there, eh, good, at, good morning, good afternoon, and good night. And that's on the hitting coach. That's, on, that's a team-centralized approach, and I think I'm quite frankly tired of it. Just sick and tired of watching this team at the plate because it's great when it works, and it doesn't work nearly often enough. Charlie. There's not much to add. Um, when you end up getting outscored to the Baltimore Orioles and you drop 23 runs and you are only able to score 17, you still lose two out of three. The game you won was barely won. It was barely won. The game that they lost... One was in front of Little Leaguers, and that sucked because I think there was more Red Sox fans than Oriole fans. At least if you're a kid, you want to see the Red Sox win. You want to see the Red Sox do well. You let a guy who really was a no-namer prior to 2022 in Jorge Mateo absolutely slap you around with one swing. And at that moment, there was no more fight whatsoever. I mean, Franchi bleeping Cordero was the player that tied this game up. Kudos for calling that one because that would have been the last person I would have been having, you know, having it for, for Bobby Dahlbeck. Both of them have no business in Boston. And somehow the one Mr. Irrelevant player came out and just did something amazing. It doesn't seem to matter if it's players, if it's coaches, if it's ownership. Everybody has just fallen flat and i think that this team partially stopped caring i don't think the coaches care if they do they're not showing it uh the players are playing very lackadaisically uh it's it's like lethargic play 
They're they're just not hitting balls. If they are hitting them, they're hitting them straight into the ground. Um, it's it's really sad to see the team go down this quickly. And even in the dugout, you don't see anyone smiling. No one's really laughing. Even the post cart for a home run, which feels like it's never. You know, we saw Xander Bogarts hit one today, and that just felt weird to me because that was just his 10th home run on the year. They're just, there's no life. I mean, at this point, we're just watching the rest of the teams in Major League Baseball play, and we're just participating. But you don't get participation trophies if you're coaches and players for for the Boston Red Sox. This is this is a, a, a major fail. And um, Mark hit it on the head. This isn't just players. It's not just, you know, the hitters. It's not the pitchers. The coaches have to accept some accountability here, too. We're just, we're not making smart plays. Regardless of your role in this team, this team failed 2022. Before I get going on my take, who was the the pitching coach under Cora for the World Series year through 2019? I'm drawing a blank. Wasn't it Levangie? Yes, it was. Okay. Because he was there for a little bit. He wasn't very good either. Yeah. Um, that, he, that is... he left. He left either that year or the year after. It might have been the World Series year he was done. I can't remember. No, it was 2019 because it was yeah, a bad 2019. Year. Yeah, he left at the end of that one. I don't know who Renicky had, or maybe it was Bush at that. It probably was Bush at that point under. I think it was. Under Renicky, okay. Right. All right, so here we go. My take's going to be kind of quick here. Um, Red Sox starting pitching right now ranks 22nd in Major League Baseball. You can chalk it up to injuries, what have you, but the Red Sox rotation is number 22 out of 30 with a 438 ERA. The bullpen is even worse. I think I did talk about this on the last show. The Red Sox bullpen is 26th right now in uh, Major League Baseball. The teams that the only teams that are behind them are the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Cincinnati Reds, the Colorado Rockies, and the Kansas City Royals. Those are all fourth or fifth place teams that are down there with us, and we're a fifth place team as we know. Great company. That's great company. Exactly. The four worst teams in baseball. <laughs> yeah. And so that's where we're at with our pitching. Like this year's been an institutional failure as far as pitching goes. And I just wonder, could the Red Sox move on from Dave Bush here? Here's where, at first thought, I'm thinking, no, probably not. They probably let him, you know, into next year at least. But how hot is Bloom's seat going to be? Like, there has to be a little bit of pressure going into next year. And if we suck next year, if we're having similar conversations next July, I think his seat is pretty warm at that point. So... I, I think we have an ownership group that, believe it or not, wants to win. I listened to Tom Warner say that this has been a disappointing season, and and hearing his tone 
and seeing his demeanor kind of, I think, told a story. But I just wonder if if Bloom thinks it, it might be safer to, to move on from a guy like Dave Bush to kind of take the pressure off himself. I don't know who that would be. We've seen Bayo do pretty good things at double A and triple A. I don't know if we have a guy down there that could come up, but it's, it's just astounding to me that Heim Bloom comes from an organization that is legendary with developing pitching and the Red Sox are this bad three years into his tenure. So, and, and then secondly, Tim Hires with the Texas Rangers, their manager just got fired this past week. Perhaps that whole coaching staff gets overhauled. Slight chance maybe he comes back to Boston due to the familiarity. Everybody speaks so highly of Peter Fatse, but haven't uh, haven't really seen a lot this year. But I think Dave Bush is in a tougher spot, so. Any any thoughts on them? I I pretty much agree. Just I don't think Heim's seat is going to be that hot. I think he's got two three more years before people are like, eh, wait a minute. No, it's just GMs are such a such a premium, especially guys like him. I mean, he was heralded as the next Theo. You know, in terms of his age and his background, it seemed like we were getting another Theo Epstein. And I, I don't think they're going to forget that that quickly. In terms of moving on from Dave Bush, yeah, I don't think he is our pitching coach next season. If I had to guess, someone's got to take the fall for a pitching staff being that bad. And it's not going to be Cora. It's going to be the pitching coach. So I, I don't think Bush is going to be around after this season. Um, I don't know who they would go and get. I'm not super up on the pitching coach free agent market, if I'm being honest with you. Yeah, right. Um, so I don't know who will be available. You know, there are certain guys I would love for them. You know, if they could get like Brent Strom and be like, oh, my God, that's great. Jesus you think Christ. so? No, they won't, they won't be able to get him, but it's like. Oh, I'm he'd saying, be available, I think. I mean, he's in uh, Arizona right now, but. Oh, is he in Arizona now? I yeah. thought he was in. I thought he was in Houston. Oh, no, no, he got. Was it last year? Did they? Yeah, they went to the World Series last year. Yeah, he gave this emotional interview after the game and uh, said he was retiring. But he lives in Arizona, and they just happened to hire him. And ironically, they signed Dallas Keuchel, or they acquired him mm-hmm. briefly, right after because there was a connection. But but he left Houston because they had a couple of other guys that was two and I, I don't know their names, but they were, they were working with the newer guys, you know, Garcia and uh, yeah. Valdez and all that. And the mm-hmm. only, the only guy left from the, the Brent Strom era was Lance McCullers. Mm-hmm. So, so I think they probably would have moved on from him anyway, if he didn't, yeah. if he didn't, but but yeah, I, I mean, just, just don't know. Throw a boatload of, just throw a boatload of money at him. I don't care if you pay the pitching coach $7 million. Like, <laughs> who gives a shit? It, just be like, hey, come fix our pitching staff. Well, even if it's just for a year, just give him whatever he wants. It's an intriguing name. I just don't know if he's 
that highly in demand. And with that Houston, you know, pitching staff as great as it's been for almost a decade now, like, was that Brent Strom? Was he the reason they were good or was it more of a, you know, a, a systemic thing with them or an analytical thing throughout the organization that made them good? I'm, I'm just, yeah, I mean, that, I have no idea. Could, that could be it, but I mean, the guy's been a pitching coach for a long time and I think they need someone with experience is my whole thing. Yeah. I It's like I said, it's an intriguing name. Any more thoughts, Charlie? You're on mute, please. Admittedly, so I, I, sorry, I thought I took myself off. I, don't, I don't think I hit the button right. Um, I, I don't know enough, and I haven't done research on any of the of these coaches that are going to be coming, that, that are going to be uh, available for this coming year. But I mean, you mentioned that you think that Heim Bloom earlier, Mark, has three years in Boston left was that what you said you said two to three years or yeah two two or three years i would be shocked if they're not calling for him to be out by the end of 2023 i'd be shocked i I think they'll give him a long leash i he he fits the prototype of give this guy time and they also have to give him money which is something they really haven't done a very good job of the whole thing about when guys leave tampa is all right, what are they going to do with money? That's why Andrew Friedman works in LA because he's got the know-how to get the guys, but now he's also got the resources. Same with uh, Farhan Zaidi in San Francisco, and they haven't tossed a bunch of money around, but similar concept where I think, I just think he'll have a little bit longer of a leash. Two or three years, I, I think we'll, get more out of time like i said he he was heralded as the next deal and in boston that's like basically being called god and they were wrong clearly like they they could not have been more wrong yeah because like two plus two equals five here two plus two equals five here i think that high and bloom got a pass for 2022 being an absolutely blown year because in 2021 this team way overperformed, <laughs> way above their means. And it wasn't even a joke. We were playing in the ALCS. I went to game four when we were winning, uh, I believe, two games to one at the time. And we were moments away from being up three games to one before absolutely crashing back down to reality where Alex Cora thought that putting in Martin Perez in the top of the ninth inning when Nate Valdi got squeezed on a fastball for what should have been a strike blew the game wide open. That team had no business in the championship series, no business in the division series, shouldn't have even huffed the wild card game and somehow made it all the way to game six. That was a joke. That was a joke of a team. And, and, and the problem was because the Red Sox did as well as they did in 21, there was the excuse for not having to overspend or spend. Mm-hmm. We got Trevor Story. We spent a dumb amount of money on James Paxton for nothing. And anybody who makes a case for him is an idiot, is an idiot. I can't justify that. We're, we're about to have a lot of money come off the books right now. I, you want to talk about stupid moves? 
I want to know what what's going to happen with our rotation. I want to know right now what Heim Bloom is willing to spend to get a proper rotation next year. Because if this rotation consists of Cutter Crawford, Nick Pavetta, Chris Sale, maybe, Garrett Whitlock, possibly, Brian Bayo in there, maybe. I don't know if we're going to re-sign Walker for the amount of money he's going to ask for. I feel, I, I don't know. I and don't think shouldn't. By the way, I'm not disagreeing. I'm not disagreeing. He's not a good pitcher. He's having a good year. There's a difference. He's having a ridiculous year. He's not having a good year. He's having a career year. Yeah, he's having a great year, but he's like 32 and has a track record of being bad. (laughs) No, it's not. It's it's not bad. It's broken. He has a track record of being broken every year. He spends time on the IL. Like Michael Waka belongs in the city of broken toys, which Mm -hmm. is not the Red Sox, and that's what it's become. If we continue to give High and Bloom excuses or room to make excuses, what are we talking about, folks? What are we doing here? Like, what? who are we really blaming? We're going to blame the fact that, you know, Eric Cosmer is old and broken, and we're going to be paying him the veteran minimum at first base. He's a defensive upgrade over Bobby Dahlbeck and Franchi Cordero and anyone else you stick at first base. Is he the answer at first base for the next three years? Absolutely not. If he's still there by the end of 2023, going into 2024, I'm going to be upset because that tells me you still didn't really do what you should have done by answering the call to address first base. You need two really good starters next year. You need to bring in a first baseman and you need a closer. You need to figure out all that for 2023 because you did nothing in 2022. And the excuse that he was given was pathetic and it was only because of how they performed the prior year. I'm going to sound like a broken record because it's going to be me saying that all damn night. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle of you guys. I think there is a scenario where Hein Bloom can be fired uh, at some point in 2024. Because, Mark, you're thinking 2025 is the worst case, right? By three years. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a chance he's still around in 2025. Okay. So I think there's a possibility it, it could happen in, in 2024. Um, but perhaps if next year isn't bad, you know, that, that could certainly buy him um, a, an extra year. Eventually, we have to be a good baseball team, but – what Red Sox fans want to see is urgency. We want to, we, we've seen four world series. I hate the fact that I keep going to this take, but we, we know what a championship team looks like and we need to see one that kind of resembles that. And we just haven't the last few years. And we went into this season, not looking so great on paper. And I think there was an expectation, well, they'll improve the team. They'll find ways to improve the team. And it just didn't happen this year. And they waited too long. Like, you don't think we could have had Tommy Pham for similar to whatever the package was that we ended up getting him for in late July? You don't think that couldn't have happened on, like, July 8th? I I don't think he would have cost a lot then. I think the day he walked out into the outfield and – either slapped or punched Jock Peterson, I think he could have been had pretty cheap after that. So I just, there's not a lot of urgency here with Heim Bloom and Red Sox fans have 
lost their patience. And I think this, I think this team, this ownership group gets a little self-conscious when they see empty seats out and, and the bleachers, I think, I think they get a little bit self-conscious. I don't think they like seeing that. I don't think they like seeing opposing teams, jerseys filling up the crowd either. John Henry has a bit of an ego, by the way. If you remember, I think it was the 2013 World Series. Okay, we win it. Next spring training, we're going to the Marlins spring training complex, and they hype it up. The world champion Red Sox are coming to our complex, and the Red Sox sent, like, the worst team they possibly could. And it was like the practice squad. And the Marlins publicly said the Red Sox should be ashamed of the players they sent. And then John Henry publicly responded back. He said the Marlins should be ashamed of the actual roster they trot out (laughs) every year. So John Henry is a guy with a bit of an ego. And they're spiteful. It took him a long time to admit that they – that they – you know, botched the, the John Lester deal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So anyway, I just, I think they want high bloom to, to put a winner together. So quick, uh, just really quick story about John Henry having an ego. I've never met the guy, but he does have a, a lake house in upstate New York in a place where I vacation every year. And you can tell just by looking at it, it is John Henry's house. He has the World Series banners hanging around the house, facing the lake. It, everything is Red Sox. Like, it is, he, his house is, yes, I own the Boston Red Sox, and yes, I want you to know that I own the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> it's very funny. When we first went by it in the boat, the guy that we vacationed with, he was like, Mark, you're a Red Sox fan. What do you think of that? I was like, that has to be an owner's house. I was like, it has to be. He goes, yeah, it's John Henry. So that's just the type of guy he is. He flaunts it. He's like, yeah, I've got I've got four World Series championships. How many do you have? Oh, oh, th- oh, you, you, you only have one. Oh, okay, get out of here. How many do you have? Like, that's his thing. I kind of love it. Well, hopefully, hopefully that uh, he, you know, becomes somewhat of a presence here in, you know, creating some urgency as far as putting a roster together. And it's going to be a fascinating offseason, as we've kind of said. Lots of money comes off, lots of tough decisions to make with certain players. Some of those decisions are getting actually easier by the day of Aldi Martinez, but, um, but yeah, so hopefully this is finally the winner. We can see what bloom does with, with plenty of money to spend. So, all right, let's get into the, um, Toronto series here without having to, (laughs) have a 90 minute show. We're actually at the 52 minute mark. So we're doing pretty good. But, uh, so looks like I had to go to the ESPN side, not the most reliable as we found out this season, but I, this kind of looks somewhat right. Um, 
I'm not showing anyone for Tuesday night. Could that be Winkowski? Very well could. Okay. Let me take a peek right now because I'm uh, curious to that myself. I just don't know if he's pitched in Worcester in the last couple of days. I'm guessing they were probably smart knowing Evaldi might not be available and held him. Yeah, we have we have uh, no one listed right now. It'll be uh, Hill against Jose Barrios and then Cutter Crawford against Kevin Gaussman. So already just listening to those two names, really sexy names for Toronto, not so much for us. So even the fact that Ross Stripling is pitching, Stripling isn't bad this year. So very good chance we're going to have a really ugly time against the Blue Jays. Guess we were former all-star Ross Stripling. People forget that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, let's see. He um, he has not given up more than two earned runs since June. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. This this going to be a fun fun little segment right here. Yeah. So, I'm just, no matter who's pitching, I'm taking the, the Blue Jays in game one. I'll, yeah. I'll just say it. I got a, I got a sweep, baby. Yeah, I got a sweep for Toronto. Yeah, this is this is going to be really bad. It's going to be a really bad day for Boston again. Barrios has had a pretty good um, last couple of games, I think. Yeah, he's having a horrible year, which I did not realize. Is he raised like five six? Yeah. And last time he went out and pitched against the Yankees, it was like seven innings, two earned, and nine strikeouts. And it's like okay, all right, Jose Barrios is back. Better late than never. Yeah. Yeah. So I. I don't see this going the Red Sox way. I just. And Rich Hill's pitching at home. He's got an ERA close to seven at home. So. Yeah. And that's going to. Vladdy Jr. is going to hit one so far off of Rich Hill. I just. He's going to hit an absolute moon. Rich Hill's going to try to throw him an 88 mile an hour fastball right down the dick. And Vladdy's going to be like, eh, no, thank you. I, I will send this on the Lansdowne Street with my eyes closed. <laughs> so. It, this series is gonna suck. I'm not looking forward to it. it give me three zero Toronto all day, every day. Yeah, this, I don't want to spend. I don't want to spend time talking about this. This is gonna hurt too much. But we're gonna get smoked. Yeah, and we got Gosman game three. The guy who I felt we should have went after this year for what would have been a, a fairly reasonable contract, but is what it is. So. We'll all agree on the sweep. You do have, it's looking like Waka and Pavetta uh, later in the week against Tampa, but I think we're, this is, uh, it's going to be bad. This is going to be bad. So it'll be bad. All right. We'll be back tomorrow for totally legit or calling the cops. Everybody have a great Monday. Take care.